Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, it's crowdfunding month here at Candleland. Sandy, is this your very first crowdfunding month? This is my first crowdfunding month. How do we do this, Jen? Uh, we beg for money. That's how we do this. I mean, no, no, it's the time of year when we ask for your support so that we can keep on doing what we do, making oppo. The easiest way to support our work is to subscribe, and it is really easy. Go to canadaland.com slash join, and you can subscribe to ad-free versions of oppo and all five other Canadaland podcasts. That's canadaland.com slash join. Now, Sandy, now we switch to the part of our crowdfunding message where we talk about all the great things that we did to remind people and give them warm feelings so that they'll give us money. So can you talk about something that uh, you did this year in Oppo that you really enjoyed? I really liked our Huawei and Alikan Velshi interview. I thought that was that was one of the highlights of the year for me. What about you? I think that Alikan Velshi does not like us anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> Anyway, no, my favorite episode of the year was the one where I was fucking pissed drunk. That was pretty darn good. And in fact, if Donald Trump is elected again, I promise the listeners of Oppo that there will be another gin and Oppo. And Dr. Lindsay Ted, and when we were getting into the issue of childcare, I think that we need to do more of that in the coming year. I actually really liked the episode that we just did with Devlin. That was fun. So to those of you who already support Canada Land, please believe us when I say Thank you. Without you, independent media doesn't exist in this country. And my goodness, does more independent media need to exist in this country. And for those of you who want to start now, you can pay as little as five bucks a month for an ad-free podcast. And this really is the time. What people don't realize about crowdfunding is that actually you wind up, just by virtue of the fact that people's credit cards expire, you wind up like losing a lot of your uh, initial supporters just simply through attrition. So, you know, if we don't do this crowdfunding podcast, you wind up losing more supporters overall. We really have to push to remind people to continue to sign up and continue to support us. You know, we are going to save journalism through subscriptions. This is how it's going to happen. Please subscribe. Please support not just Canada Land, but other to but today especially support Canada Land. You know, the other benefit of supporting Canada Land, in addition to being part of the solution and spending your monies in ways that don't make society worse, is that you also get swag. 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 Awesome. So if you subscribe for $9 a month Canadian, you get Oppo plus five other Canada Land shows. That's all of them ad-free. Plus you get socks. Is that not amazing? Socks. socks. We're heading in we're heading into socks season, people. Socks season cold, it's terrible, your Capri's are gone, you're going to need something between your skin and your boots, and so you might as well get a pair of these fantastic blue Canada Land socks with the brand new Canada Land logo on top. Come on. They're pretty cool socks. I'm looking at them right now. And you know, socks are an important fashion statement now. Also, this is actually probably my favorite bit of swag, a limited edition duly noted notebook, a duly notebook, and a Canada Land t-shirt <laughs> and a keychain. Plus Oppo and the full suite of shows ad-free, the whole package for just $14 a month. These notebooks will go fast. I'm looking at them. They're black. They're very ironic. They're very statement. They're very hip. And they're moleskin. They're legit moleskin. So like that's the journalist nerd book of choice. If you were trying to pose, if you were like one of those people who wanted to go live in a coffee shop and look like a journalist, this is the notebook for you. You can check out the swag at canadaland.com slash join and subscribe. That's canadaland.com slash join. Don't forget, you can also just pose ironically. 
<laughs> it's gonna be an ironic poser it's great anyway well, however you choose to use this swag to signal your particular allegiance is on you but do do check it out once again thank you so much for supporting the show thanks everybody from canada land this is oppo i'm jen gerson and i'm in calgary where we've had our first snow. And I'm Sandy Garasino in Vancouver. And how have you been? Aside from the snow, you mean? Yes. You know, I can't really complain because if we get to mid-October in Calgary with our first snow, that's actually not as bad as it's been in previous years. That's actually, we've done fine. This is strange because I'm looking out my window and I'm realizing we are now in the second half of October and all the leaves around me are still green which is very oh, strange. Up. No, no, but then, oh, but there's next something... thing you're going to tell me that there's tulips growing in your garden. Come on now, Sandy. It is odd. It is odd that we're not, we don't seem to be having our fault. But anyway, nobody else in Canada wants to hear that. So nobody else wants to, in Canada wants to hear about the state of your garden, Sandy. Literally nobody. I speak on behalf of a disgruntled and beleaguered nation. Stop it. Tell us there's snow. Lie to us. There's snow. There's snow. Perfect. Lovely. It's what I love to hear. <laughs> of mind at the moment is not the weather that would be a pleasant show sometime wouldn't it but this is in fact our last show before the u.s election we we do have one more coming out on the day of the election but today felt like a good time to forecast some potential concerns for canada polls are suggesting that joe biden is well ahead of donald trump thank fucking god but whether or not trump will relinquish power gracefully is a matter of some debate. Just yesterday, a former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton was interviewed by Jake Tapper on CNN and was saying that he did not see there was any possibility of Trump relinquishing power gracefully. He didn't say not peacefully. That's yet to be determined. But he said this now is going to fall to the Republican establishment to decide how they want to play that one out. So for today's show, we're going to bring on Balkan Devlin to talk about all of this. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Among his many fields of expertise is one relevant for Canada at the moment, decision-making under uncertainty and forecasting and strategic foresight. I remember the days when John Bolton was a mere nefarious arch-conservative. Yes. What a time to have been alive, and don't you all wish we could go back to such a simpler era? Now he's merely a nefarious opportunist bookseller. (laughs) Well, that's a step up, so... But first, some headlines. The headline that to me is burning up across Canada right now is what is going on in Nova Scotia? What is going on with the attacks on Mi'kmaq and the lobster fishery, the burning down of the structure, the lobster fish house? And I've seen video showing RCMP or what appear to be RCMP basically standing by while the Sabaganagane fishery was being attacked by a mob. Now RCMP spokespeople are doing the both sides thing on this and it's just astonishing to me that yet again we are in this situation. Actual literal attacks that are threatening life and limb and the police, the RCMP are nowhere to be seen and they're 
spokespeople are both siding an obvious racial issue. This is really, really concerning to me to watch this happening in Canada. This is a real crisis. You know, I'll admit I haven't really been following this particular story very closely. But, you know, needless to say, the second you start burning shit down, you're a terrorist. Like, we're we're yep. done now. There is no both sides or ism when you're you're bringing violence into this particular mix. So, you know, this starts to get really unequivocal for me. And I don't really have much to add to it beyond that. Yeah. And where were the police and how could this them for them to appear the next day after the fire has been put out and say, oh, they didn't know anything about it. I mean, none of this is credible. This is a real crisis. It's a national crisis over once again, Aboriginal rights and title. And it is a crisis for the RCMP. And it's deeply troubling to me. Potentially something that maybe we should be coming back to in a future show and do a proper segment on it. But for now, I was on Twitter the other day. Were you? So I happened to notice that there was a giant anti-mask QAnon style conspiracy rally at Young and Dundas. And there's a couple things that I would like to note about that rally as far as I could observe. What are those things, Jen? How in the world were there that many white people to attend this rally? Because as far as I could tell, in a, in a city that's actually like 50% visible minority, that was an astonishing sea of whiteness. I've gone to Wexit rallies that were more diverse than that. So that was the first thing that really struck me about this rally. I think maybe we have to have a conversation at some point about coming to get our people because something is happening to white people and it is not good. We had an, a huge rally in Vancouver, which included, by the way, apparently people on BC ferries who were con- confronting ferry riders in masks. And I agree with you. Uh, Global News was interviewing some of them and we were getting straight up the QAnon and the conspiracy theory uh, nonsense. So this all feels very orchestrated to me. Uh, I would like to say that on the plus side, however, I have something to turn to whenever anybody wants to give shit to Alberta ever again. So, you know, (laughs) take your blessings where you can get them. One other subject that I'm noticing here is the Chinese ambassador to Canada who seemed to... Threatened us. Threatened us. Threatened Canadians. Yes, who threatened us. It's called actual threats. So That's a threat. (laughs) So uh, the Chinese ambassador to Canada actually came out and said, if the Canadian side really cares about stability and prosperity in Hong Kong and cares about the safety, health and safety of 300,000 Canadian passport holders and the number of Canadian companies, then you should support Chinese efforts to fight violent crime. What on earth are we going to, is the world going to do about China, which is just sheer muscle power now and dominance? What exactly can Canada do about all this? Well, I mean, what Canada is doing right now is in a letter from the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada, a Hong Kong couple have been told they have been determined as convention refugees and their claims for asylum have been accepted. So Canada does appear to be accepting refugees from Hong Kong. In addition to that, of course, as the Chinese ambassador says, there are some 300,000 Canadian passport holders in Hong Kong. So, I mean, it does appear that we're, we're about to be continuing on this path of supporting Hong Kong. Come home, uh, Canadian expats in Hong Kong, and and welcome back. Wouldn't want to be there right now. That's for sure. A bit concerning. Balkan Devlin, Joe Biden seems to be favored to win in this upcoming election, and yet 
the concerns are very, very live about, first of all, what will happen? What will the electoral outcome be? Who will accept the electoral outcome? And what is the fallout from that? Can you uh, unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. With regards to the election, uh, when you get different models, you do see that Joe Biden is anywhere from 85% to uh, 80% the favorite to win. And there is a, even a, a smaller probability, maybe 20%, that this could be a quite a landslide, large, large victory. But then there is about 10 to 15% possibility that although losing the popular vote, Donald Trump could also win the Electoral College and remain the president. Now, the issue um, most people are concerned about is multiple things. First is the fact that there is a lot of unprecedented number of, of mail-in ballots coming through uh, for this election. And that would suggest that we will not necessarily know the results like you know we generally are used to on the night of the election. And that creates an opening uh, for those who would like to challenge the election results and try to win or, or maintain the presidency, either party, through legal and or other means. And I think that is the major concern, the, the, the unpredictability or the uncertainty um, surrounding the election results. Uh, would be the primary battleground. And whoever will try to shape the earlier on, the narrative about we are on the lead and they are still in the election, is, is going to be the one who, uh, who would try to you know, come up uh, victorious out of this. So Belkin, if I'm going to paint my nightmare scenario that I think is still within the realm of plausibility. So yes. election night comes and goes. Uh, there's no clear winner because we don't have a decisive win by any team and the, and the mail-in ballots take a really long time to be counted. Then we start to see Trump, probably Trump, essentially delegitimizing the idea that Biden could be winning because of the mail-in ballots are fraudulent, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. We see this process get dragged out um, over the next couple of days, if not weeks, as the states have to certify the ballots and those ballots are then subject to various court challenges at the state level and potentially moving up to the Supreme Court level. And then as all of this is happening within the realm of process and technicality, you have this air war happening where the Republican side is trying to delegitimize the results or trying to skew the skew the the, the idea that this was an illegitimate, a legitimate election, which prompts a lot of sort of militia groups to come out, potentially causing disruption and violence. We see an escalation of violence and that sort of leads to a state of, sort of civil unrest over the next couple of weeks. I think that, to me, is my nightmare scenario. Yes. I mean, I agree with that. And, and you know, you also have, also have to sort of take into account that those protesters or, or those militia groups uh, that are coming in in favor of, of Trump uh, would also be met by massive uh, protesters on the other side. And I think that really sort of raises the risk of civil strife. Because you know the majority of the Democratic voters will not necessarily silently accept such attempts, so they will go out, and this will also you know come on the heels of Black Lives Matter protests, the the pandemic, and all that kind of thing. There's a lot of pent up um, you know tension out there, mm-hmm. and from what you can read and when when you talk to people on the Democratic side, they do have this sort of ray of hope that things will sort out after the election, and if they feel that. You know that's not happening, and that the Trump or the Republicans are trying to steal the election. You would see an outpouring of anger on the Democratic side too, and then the federal government could do a lot of things, and and Trump is, would still be in control 
of the federal government. Right. Um, right. So what, what would law enforcement do? And what would local law enforcement do? The, the, the state, the federal level, would, would he go ahead and try to invoke Insurrection Act, you know, and trying to sort of blame the Democrats attempting a color revolution? Uh, in the United States and and put out the army there. I don't know. We saw hints of that with Portland, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. And and again, would the military obey his command? Well, you know, technically they will, but would they? That's a whole new level of legitimacy crises. I have to register some some skepticism here, <laughs> Balkan Devlin, because first of all, the militia, or shall we call them the, the right-wing terrorists, because that's the level that they are now getting to, and they are certainly being stoked by Trump, no doubt about it. But their numbers are in the tens of thousands, not much more than that, whereas the protesters that will be in the cities. I mean, where is this conflict going to happen? It's going to happen in the cities. And that's where yes. that's where overwhelmingly the democratic support is. And those numbers will be will absolutely dwarf and swamp. It's one thing to ha- try and get all your people to go to Portland. Remember, there was the attempt to have 20,000 of, of these characters go to Portland and they were able to muster 200. It's hard to see them being able to put together these numbers. And as for the military and the police and who they're going to obey, you know, by the time that you're expecting civil servants, which is what military are, and policing to give up their pensions and their health care and their jobs in order to go and join some of these characters, it's just, it's hard to imagine that things will actually unfold to that extent. This is a low probability event. And if I went to Mm -hmm. put a number to it, I would put somewhere maybe two to 4%. Um, That high level of violence happening, but the the consequences of that happening, I think will be enormous if it happens. Um, The second thing uh, is that you don't really need uh, huge numbers to create chaos. That's the, you know, the, the, the fundamental aspect, as you described them as, as the terrorists. Uh, you don't really need many, many people. IRA, it's, its height is about a thousand, uh, around a thousand or so hardcore militants. You don't really need many numbers if, if those people are cohesive and are, and also willing to engage in violence. And I think that is, that is my, my concern. You could have a few hundred, uh, militia members spread across, I don't know, 10 cities shooting at the crowds. Then, then you have, you have your, your civil strife right there. The other issue with the law enforcement, and I think there is, they will be in, in a bind in the sense that if Trump orders them, say the Department of Homeland Security or the army go and said that those democratic protesters are, are rioting and this is insurrection, put them down. Would they do it or would they not do it? If they do it, we are in a completely uncharted territory. If they disobey and refuse to obey, then we are in, again, uncharted territory. And I think that is, that is the danger. Now, again, going back to the initial point, this is not something that is likely to happen. We will most likely see some level of violence. I don't know whether people will be killed, but I'm not expecting anything at the at the major level. Though this low probability, the, the fact that there is two to four percent or so uh, of, of this happening is still unimaginable because you wouldn't imagine. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over three million people around the world 
and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Four years ago. No. So that, that probability was almost zero. And I think the fact that this is that we are actually talking about this is itself a concern. What sort of likelihood do you put on a full-on electoral crisis? Um, a full-blown Let me give you my definition of what the full-blown electoral crisis would look like. It would include competing uh, claims to uh, the presidency, high levels of uh, uh, violence, and even attempts for um, different uh, or or parallel integration attempts. And that's a very, very low probability event. I would say a couple percent. A full-blown, again, maybe a slightly less uh, crisis that, that stretches out and goes all the way to Supreme Court with the court challenges and everything else, I would put that maybe another 5%. So in total, I would say about 6 or 7%, we would have a full-blown crisis in total. Still quite high compared to other things. I think even in this low probability scenario, I think it's important that we're using terms like civil strife and not civil yes, exactly. war. Because even in a, in a low probability scenario, we're talking about isolated acts of violence. We're not talking about no. full-on armies no, against no, no, each no, other. No, no. But I want to move to, to, uh, to the next question here. And that is, you know, in this low probability scenario, what is our greatest vulnerability? What's Canada's greatest issue that we need to be looking for? Uh, I would say we will be in a pickle to make a political stance. If you end up, you know, backing the wrong horse, you would have to live with that uh, choice uh, for the for the long term. Uh, there is, of course, concerns about economy. You know, U.S. being the largest export market, what, how how would the sort of uh, U.S. economy would respond to such a you know prolonged political crises, civil crises, and what would that do to to Canadian exports to the United States? There will be concerns about border security. Though I'm not very much concerned about that. I don't think we'll see a surge of Americans coming towards the border. There will be concerns about our lies on officers and, and joint command uh, with regards to the NORAD. If if things got really out of hand and you know there are you know, competing claims to the presidency, those are the things that primarily we need to we need to be concerned about. But I would see that the biggest vulnerability uh, for Canada is to be quick to jump um, on on one side and and go ahead and, uh, and and declare support. I have no doubt dictatorships and authoritarian regimes would go ahead and congratulate Trump if if he claims to win. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Justin Trudeau supports Biden, what would that mean if Trump maintains power? If Trudeau goes and and, and calls and, and congratulates Trump, and that was that ends up being turned over and Biden becomes president, what would that mean? 
uh, for our relationship going forward, etc. So I think the primary risk here is the urge to go one side or, 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 or another uh, right after the election and try to maintain uh, a cautious uh, posture as, as long as possible. We don't have much of an influence or leverage on, on the outcome. We would have to live with the outcome or whatever it is. And thus, an early commitment to one side is a gamble I think we should be avoiding. But Canada will not be alone in this. There's there's no. also the UK and the EU, which, yes. which probably have um, even more uh, leverage in a sense than, than we do. Do you think that yes. there are conversations going on between other governments about what posture to adopt depending on the outcome? I hope. That is the case. I mean, I'm not privy to the government's uh, dealings with these on, on these particular issues, but I'm pretty sure they are talking to it in a discreet manner. You wouldn't go to uh, your allies and say, "Look, we are very much concerned about our big neighbor down down south here. Uh, what if things go go bad, and how can we coordinate?" You do this more discreetly, naturally. And I think yeah, I'm pretty sure they are talking to the to, to the Brits and, and Germans and others um, at the government. Uh, to see how policies can be coordinated if worse comes to worse. And I think that is a prudent thing to do. And you know, there were some uh, reports, Reuters had a report a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, that the Canadian government is actually reaching out to the allies um, and trying to coordinate coordinate this. Because you know, fundamentally, there is safety in numbers in that sense, and coordination and, and a larger sort of uh, leverage uh, when you coordinate with your European allies and others. My concern is that even a couple of weeks of serious unrest could have major impacts for the um, stock market. It could have major impacts for um, uh, American trade. And that will have ripple effects in Canada, particularly when we're still massively struggling to recover from the COVID downturn. So like, what, yes. how are you seeing this problem? Uh, you know, I'm not an economist. I can't really go into detail of that. But to me, if you look at it from a political economy perspective, at least, uh, what, what would be the impact on that? The uncertainty that would surround the elections and how will the you know, American economy as well as the you know, Canadian economy that is already on the stress, as you point out, with, uh, with regards to the pandemic, uh, would react to that. Now, I think there are a couple of scenarios here one can go through. One uh, if the, the particular uncertainty ends up just only being a short short period of time, say there is an overwhelming Biden victory, uh, there were some challenges, but the Republicans at the state uh, level basically abandoned the Trump ship, uh, are, you know, seeing that that's not going to go anywhere. And 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 despite you know, within a week or ten days, we do have a clear winner and things things move on. And now that could be a boost for the economy. Now there's a concern about what would Trump do during the transition. That's a complete different ballgame. But say this, this stretches until December. Then what would the stock market's reaction be in this continuing uncertainty? What would uh, investments would look like, whether people started to do that, and what would our exports turn out to be? I think that's a pretty bad, bad scenario. Having a clear winner, either Trump or Biden, is a much better outcome, speaking from the you know, economic side than a continuing uncertainty that lasts for uh, for several weeks or, or months. In the event of, of a true crisis of legitimacy in the American election, let's suppose that Trump somehow muscles his way to power, um, having lost the 
the popular vote, but in disputes over electoral votes, somehow manages to uh, shimmy himself into power. But there is a genuine outstanding issue of legitimacy. What is the impact that you see on Canada's national security, our intelligence, our global strategic alliances, such as NATO, Five Eyes and G7? What what do you see as the as the impact going forward on in, in such a crisis? Oh, that's a very good question. I think that is the $6 million question. My honest answer will be, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. the uncharted territory mm-hmm. that will get in. I mean, I, I can foresee certain things um, getting worse. Uh, a Trump that is basically, you know, unleashed uh, and unconstrained uh, with that, that win and a continuing domestic uh, challenge, legitimacy challenge to his role is bound to lash out to others uh, out there. So that, you know, that makes him even more unpredictable as an ally. One thing that I think such an outcome would accelerate one of the trends, unfortunate trends, is an increasing skepticism about American leadership in the Western world and an attempt to find alternatives to it. We are already talking about similar actions by more middle powers like Canada and Germany and others, trying to sort of play a larger role in the transatlantic community because of the American drift away from Europe and uh, and transatlantic uh, relations more broadly, but also global leadership. That would intensify that particular trend, would strengthen under, under those circumstances. That would also create an opening for our adversaries, such as Russia and China, mm-hmm. to be able to step up and say that, look, your primary ally is in crisis and the Trump administration is lashing out at you and you sure you want to side with them. And that would create pressure, maybe not at the core Western alliance, but definitely at the periphery to go and choose Russian or the Chinese side in terms of shaping things up for the international order. So I think that would have significant repercussions for international order. And Canada is a country that actually sort of benefited significantly from a stable, open international order would be in a pickle. We, we have to live with, with the United States, however unpredictable to the South. Uh, but we, we would definitely have to look beyond uh, the U.S. in such a scenario to see how we can strengthen our ties with Europe, how we can strengthen our ties with you know, our partners in the Indo-Pacific, Japan, South Korea, Australia. But it wouldn't be easy. You know, geography is destiny in, in some, some ways. The concern that I have, Balkan, is that uh, it's 2020. Yes. So everything that can possibly go badly <laughs> will go badly. That is yes. my actual fear here. And like, it's superstitious. <laughs> I will grant that it is superstitious. But like the 5 to 10% thing that couldn't, ha- couldn't have happened in 2018 is going to happen in 2020. I can feel it. Yes, I mean, it could. I've just let, jinxed let it. it. I'm sorry. Let me make an optimistic um, uh, claim. You know, when uh, would that be a possibility that this would uh, be not as bad as we we we, we are talking about it, it would be? Um, and I think there is there is a chance for that. And and there are two requirements for it. And the, the one is that this overwhelming landslide victory with Biden that despite the challenges could not go away. You cannot wish away uh, that sort of very large uh, large victory. And the second is, you know, I'm counting on not the good graces of people, but their complete self-interest. And that is the Republican legislatures and, and local politicians at the state level would go and look, okay, this ship is sinking. Uh, I better jump. Um, and would 
uh, not sort of enable Trump administration's attempt to change uh, and or challenge the results. And that is, I think, this narrow line that, that can be walked. A major Biden victory and the Republicans at the state uh, level jumping ship and basically says, fine, you know, I can live with a Biden presidency or a Democratic presidency, but, you know, this is not going to work out. I'm no longer going to be on the Trump side. This, he's, he's lame duck. And I think that is sort of the very uh, narrow way which we can uh, we can walk. Well, there certainly have, have been indications, very slight butterfly wings fluttering. We're cer- certainly starting to see with Ben Sass, Senators Ben Sass and uh, John Cornyn from Texas um, starting to distance themselves. I wonder if those are not also signals that the Senate is not uh, fully on board with yes. with whatever cockamamie plans it might be being hatched in the Oval Office by a president in meltdown. One thing we didn't have a chance to talk about, I think, was that despite you know the election results, Trump could still wreak quite a bit of a havoc during the transition. Um, and after. I mean, still, and after. And after. Precisely. I mean, you know, he could. He's he's still the president uh, until January twentieth, um, uh, and 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 that gives him a lot of leverage, especially on foreign affairs. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to start something else in the world, mm-hmm. just out of spite, mm-hmm. just to leave it <laughs> a Biden administration a total hot mess um, as he leaves um, office. Uh, given what we know about him, his psychology, his his approach. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to do something with China or Iran or, or, or elsewhere during the transition period. So if we were to ask you what's keeping you up at night, it's that. It's the possibility that a losing Trump on the way out, a wounded dragon would uh, start some shit abroad? Yes, Yeah. precisely. That's the, the thing that keeps me up because, you know, um, the, the rest of the things that we're talking about are, are relatively low probability events. I mean, fundamentally, the election results most likely would sort themselves out. Um, it might it might take a while. It might take some challenges and stuff like that. But I mean, I do have sufficient, at least at this stage, um, uh, trust at the American institutions and the system that this will be sorted out eventually. I'm much more worried about uh, uh, Trump on his way out, burning down the house, mm-hmm. and because it is an area foreign affairs that he has a lot more lot more uh, control over and and leverage and power compared to domestic policy. And to me, that is sort of the, the big challenge, uh, that how can you control or stop Trump from burning down the house and uh, everything else around it on his way out, um, and thus leaving such a mess that the, the Democrats and the Biden administration just basically don't have the bandwidth to go after him and his family and his, his cronies, because they are trying to put out flames in the Middle East or in South China Sea or in Taiwan or whatever. I mean, I can basically imagine him flying to Taiwan on, on I don't know, Christmas Day and, and calling it the Republic of China, just, you know, out, of, just out of spite. <laughs> on that cheery thought, <laughs> what a happy note to end on. No nightmares yes. for us. It'll be great. <laughs> the tenant gets his eviction notice and trashes the entire joint on his way hey, out. <laughs> Balkan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I thought that, that was fantastic and enlightening. And uh, I really wanted to say that we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. So, Sandy, there's one there's one possibility here that we didn't really explore with Balkan. What's that one, Jen? That is the possibility that, you know, it, it really is just a, a Biden landslide. And we're going to uh, enter into a realm that more or less resembles what we had prior to Trump in short order. And wouldn't that be a good thing? 
It would be a good thing. And it'd be nice if we could see a straight path to that. I suspect there might be something there. What are you thinking? Uh, well, you know, it would be a good thing. And everybody, I think, in Canada is cheering for that outcome. But I would just like to put just a teeny tiny little sour cherry into that note. And that is, you know, Biden, a Biden presidency isn't 100% great for Canada either. It's certainly better than Trump, but I think there are some problems that we're going to have to go back to negotiating as we were negotiating them in a much more normal era. The big one for me, of course, being in Alberta is going to be Keystone XL. Biden's promised to cancel that pipeline. I don't know how easily he's going to be able to accomplish that promise. And I'm also not sure that the Democrats are going to have the bandwidth to focus on that particular issue going forward. But, you know, if he really decides to go to the wall on Keystone XL, that could be a real issue for Canada and for Alberta. I guess it could. There is so much to unpack there. Biden has put a huge emphasis on his green plan. And I would see Keystone as being part of that. So, I mean, I mean, the good side in all of this is that, you know, if we do see a much more robust green policy under a Biden presidency, that's going to force even jurisdictions like Alberta along on some of these measures. So that will be good. And it would be really, really lovely if we were to just be able to turn down the temperature on politics overall, because my goodness, it's gotten ugly of late. And folks, now we are heading into the mailbag, one of our most beloved recurring segments on the show. This particular piece of mail is from Gabrielle Arquette on Twitter, who is located in Stratford, Ontario, as per her Twitter location. From Gabrielle, Canada Land Cousin podcast Wag the Dug has a recurring segment called This Month's Easily Predictable Disaster. Can you two each pick one for the next episode? Thanks, Sandy. Well, our producer is telling me it's technically called the Easily Foreseeable Disaster of the Month. The Easily Foreseeable Disaster of the Month could be, once again, the emergence of serious dislocation, serious conflict over Indigenous rights. And I don't know that that's actually a disaster as so much as a collision that has been on its way for a long time. And we may see it. We're seeing a bit of it with Nova Scotia. We're going to see more of it with the pipeline in British Columbia, the TMX pipeline, as it comes through and over Indigenous territories. I'm going to go next four weeks, mid-October to mid-November in Canada. Somebody is going to get hit with a hell of a dump of snow. (laughs) And that somebody might be... Newfoundland. Calgary. Newfoundland. It's going to be Newfoundland. <laughs> Newfoundland. I mean, just judging from the way that the, uh, the, the Arctic curtains, currents have been going lately, it's actually Eastern Canada and the Maritime provinces who've been hit especially hard. And generally, it's been Western Canada that has been largely spared. So I think my money is on disastrous amounts of snow hitting like St. John's. That's, that's my easily predictable disaster. Let's hope that everybody digs themselves out and manages. Make sure that you have your generators and your heaters, your warm blankets, your candles, and your canned goods ready because we are heading into that season. And we're heading into the pandemic Christmas. So let's all hope we manage just fine. I'm picturing like uh, something from A Christmas Carol, like uh, what should we call it? Like a little tiny Tim <laughs> holding a little, a little turkey in a mask. <laughs> Please, Mr. Scrooge, can you bring me some remdesivir? (laughs) Only hydroxychloroquine for you, Timmy. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a question you'd like us to answer, tweet us at at oppocast, or you can email us at oppo at canadalandshow.com. That's oppo at canadalandshow.com. (laughs) 
That's it for Oppo this week. We'll be back again in two weeks. Once again, the ways to get in touch are at oppo at canadalandshow.com or on Twitter at oppocast. This episode was produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production support from Damalola Onime. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. And theme music by Nathan Burley.